right. So I wrote my notes so I wouldn't be here for a long time. Mother's Day has been on the calendar and celebrated in a variety of ways since 1914. This is in this day is a day in which we exercise our ability to live in the tension of joy and sorrow, expectation and grief. It is a day in which we can celebrate all who mother and parent us, Mother Earth, Father Sky, our biological parents, foster parents, adoptive parents, chosen family, siblings, spiritual community, the community at large. It is also a day in which we can celebrate the ways in which we parent ourselves, and that's for real. Um, the ways in which we have set healthy boundaries, maintained healthy relationships, divorced ourselves from unhealthy ones, learned to, to feed ourselves, clothe ourselves, etc. And today we can practice forgiving ourselves for the time in which we have not parented ourselves, our community, our children, and our earth well. I want to invite us to take a broader view and suggest that today is a day of celebration, celebrating the human body. Today is a day to honor our bodies, to thank her for the ways in which she allows you to know yourself, connect with the divine, others, and creation. It is also a day to commit once again to the fight for autonomy of our bodies, the bodies of others, especially in light of recent days, particular attention has been focused on those with uteruses and childbearing potential. This myopic handmaid's tale view of the maternal is dangerous to society and to us as a whole. Both the larger culture and the church culture shape our conception of the human body. Media and advertisements repeatedly broadcast the message that skinny, white, blonde, blue-eyed, and non-disabled is the standard by which all humanity is measured, and the further away from that standard one is, the more atypical one is. This has even influenced our imagination about God, pictures of Jesus, God who is supposed to be represented in all of humanity, mimic society's standards of what it is to be human. And we struggle to see those we don't, we struggle to see those who don't inhabit similar bodies as human. It's been eight years since my hysterectomy, and it's been a journey for me to cultivate and imagine ways in which I am a mother but I indeed have maternal instincts. I'm a sister mom to all of my siblings, even my older one, and my mom sometimes too in a number of ways. I am a hospital chaplain who sits with people during the most traumatic times or as they transition from this life. I'm a pastor activist who desires to birth into existence the beloved community. 
I am a black woman who is the dream and hope of those who were enslaved. And the maternal resides in all of us, regardless of our gender identity. The teacher, the essential worker, the stay-at-home parent, the healthcare worker, the social worker, all of us. We all have the responsibility of creating a society that sustains and cultivates the flourishing of all life. And I would invite us um, into a centering practice. Part of the Genesis narrative begins with the story of God naming things, and then those things come to life to create a world and humanity that was first declared good and very good. So light and darkness, sea and land. Let's take a few moments and name aloud the things that would make our world good and very good for all. And by naming them aloud, we are also committing to use our bodies to do our part to make this happen. And as someone names something aloud, would we all then respond, it is good, help us to make it so. So something I would like to name in this space um, is a world in which um, bodies have autonomy. So we would say, it is good, help us make it so. It is good, help us make it so. A world in which everyone can find hope. It is good, help us make it so. Wide support for worker co-ops. It is good, help us make it so. It is good, help us make it so. Core curriculum for all education around care for the earth. It is good, help us make it so. Everyone has access to clean drinking water. It is good, help us make it so. world where all practice uh, the concept of jubilee. It is good. Help us make it so. So that parents of children in Afghanistan do not have to sell them in order to get food. It is good. Help us make it so. We lift up those things that remain in our hearts um, that we have not yet found the words for. So let's say together, it is good, help us make it so. And then I'll pass it off to Stephanie. Yeah, so I'm Stephanie. Um, and uh, I know I was telling a couple of people like, like, oh, we're, we're talking about nurturing and 
maternal wisdom, and especially as a teacher and mother, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> you guys are going to join me in my own journey and some things that uh, I have learned or have been learning and been working on. Um, so especially the idea of nurturing and, um, and what does that look like? What does that mean? What if you are a person that like, that doesn't really feel like that comes naturally? Like, what do, what do you do with that? Um, but so I, I looked it up and what I found really interesting is that nurture can be a verb or a noun as a verb um, to care and encourage the growth and development of but as a noun, it's the process of caring for and encouraging the growth or development of someone or something. Um, and so I think I really wanted to focus on how do we nurture ourselves? And um, Latia kind of talked about this, like how are, are you parenting yourself? And maybe you're reparenting yourself. Um, what are you learning and how are we learning to do that? And um, so my uh, portion is kind of about breaking cycles, like breaking these destructive cycles as an act of nurturing for yourself, for your family, for your community, and what that can look like. So some examples of destructive cycles, maybe trauma, shame, violence, abuse, poverty, addiction, uh, and so I was going to start with a question. So if you are comfortable, you can kind of turn pair share with uh, your neighbor there. What are the destructive cycles that you see around you in your community? Maybe even if you're feeling comfortable enough in your own life. So we'll take a couple of minutes to share about that. I got to listen in a little bit on some of your conversations. Good stuff. <laughs> yes. So, talking about breaking cycles and as an act of nurturing, um, probably the most obvious place to start is how do we nurture ourselves? How do we reparent ourselves? How do we pull in that maternal wisdom, figure this out? Um, because there may be harmful patterns that have been passed down like through generations of your family. Maybe just something that you've learned. Um, like what you, I was listening in over here, what you're saying like, we just, we do what we know. We just do what we know. But when you know better, you do better, says Maya Angelou. So if you can transform yourself, you can transform the future. And imagining um, what that can look like for yourself, for your family, for your community, for your workplace, for uh, how can we expand that? And so um, one of the things that I've been working on is mindfulness. And so mindfulness, there's really no downside to it. There are lots of studies that show um, all the benefits. Uh, and I'm gonna use a definition from John uh, Kabat-Zinn. Mindfulness is the awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. So how do we use mindfulness as an act of nurturing to break these destructive cycles, particularly in ourselves? Um, 
Well, so mindfulness meditation changes your brain. It really does. There are studies on this, the neuroplasticity of the brain, the way that um, we react to things. Mindfulness can actually change all of those processes to where we are less reactive. It can help you become less reactive, more thoughtful, more empathetic. Um, and really just even five minutes a day of mindfulness meditation can help. Um, you can even choose like a habitual task, like washing the dishes, if something that you do every day, but do it like with purpose and intention and focus if you do it, if you do it mindfully and not so much on autopilot. Um, or you can use a, mind, uh, a meditation app, guided meditation app. So there are lots of th things out there, um, and we're going to get into it a little bit more, but um, mindfulness also, like I said, less reactive, can help us in disarming our triggers. Okay, And we talk about, uh, I'm sure you've heard the term, like triggered or triggering, um, especially as it relates to trauma. But... Uh, Really, our responses, like emotions are totally normal. We all have emotions, right? Um, but our responses to emotions can be functional or they can be dysfunctional. Like let's say your emotion is anger. Well, and your anger, uh, like my, in my bio, I am a volunteer with Moms Demand Action. Our founder, Shannon Watts, uh, it was after the Sandy Hook shooting. She was, she was angry and she was sad and like, she felt alone and she started this Facebook group for Moms Demand Action um, to prevent gun violence. So her anger was very functional. Now we have millions of supporters all over the country. Okay? But let's say your anger leads you to hurt yourself or someone else. Dysfunctional. We want to get to the first one. <laughs> Um, so mindfulness helps us notice when we're having these stress reactions, these natural emotions um, and negative thoughts, uh, but it helps us become more aware and interrupt that autopilot. Um, so let's say you're very reactive and maybe what you want to do is the dysfunction, like that feels like the natural reaction. Mindfulness can help us take us out of that autopilot and put it into a more functional place, a healthier place. So we acknowledge, we name the feeling. Yes, like I'm angry right now, or I'm frustrated, or I'm feeling sad. Naming it is really helpful. Um, and then it can help you track those triggers. Like once you are getting into this practice, you start to figure out, oh, this is a thing like when this happens, or when I experience this, or I have this feeling, that makes me do this or feel this. This emotion is what comes up. So there's what happened, like that's the surface level, but then how did you feel? Like what was the feeling underneath that? That's the deeper thing. Um, and so a story, because remember I told you, you're going on this journey with me. This is my journey. <laughs> Just recently, I was trying to think, I was like, what, what would be a good story um, to kind of talk about this in my own life? And just recently, on Friday, uh, my girls had asked for these squishy pillows. They're like squishmallows, but like a little bigger. And um, so 
my six-year-old, I got her the one that she wanted. It's a cat that looks like a mermaid, and she loved it. She was so excited. I was like, yes, mom, win. I got this thing that you really, really wanted. And they were, it's Friday night. It's pizza and movie night in our house. And they're watching the movie, and I go take a shower, and I come out, and my six-year-old somehow, like, is, is reaching into a hole in this thing and pulling out all the stuffing and she's got a huge pile of this stuffing in front of her. And so it's like, I'm, I'm having a reaction right now. <laughs> like, like I, and I don't, I honestly don't know why, but like this is the kind of thing that like, like sends me into a rage. Like I want to yell, I want to take that thing away from her, I want to send her to, straight to bed for the rest of the night. And I was like, okay, I recognize that I am having some feelings about this situation right now. And I know that I don't want to do any of those things. I literally like, turned around and covered my face like I couldn't see it. Okay, how do, I, how do I react to this in a way that is not dysfunctional, that is not destructive, that is not going to hurt my child? And you know, like, okay. <laughs> And honestly, and you know, like the, the, the turning away, probably not the best response either, but it was all I had in the moment. I'm still learning, I'm still learning. Um, but also in this act of self-compassion, I can say, hey, you know what? I didn't, I didn't fly off into a rage. Go me, well, that on the back, okay. All right, let's talk about this. <laughs> let's talk about what's happening. Because really, and uh, how I see the situation is that she's destroying this thing, this thing that I just got for her, and how could she do this? Okay, she's six. She's curious. She's exploring. She wants to see what's it, how, how much of this stuff is in here. Let's find out, you know? So being able to have that, that practice of, okay, I don't need to react on autopilot. I can look at this from a different way, a different perspective, and then I can respond differently than maybe what, what would have come out like with my initial emotions. We did put the squishmallow away, though. I, she, she put all the stuffing back in, <laughs> and then, and then we put it away, so I can sew it up later. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. But so practicing compassion, um, and I'm going to quote Tara Brock here: "Feeling compassion for ourselves in no way releases us from responsibility for our actions." So let's say I had yelled. Like let's say. I, I screwed up, I messed up. I'm not off the hook just because, like, oh, I, you know, I, I'm okay. I can forgive myself for that. I'm not off the hook. I still have to make amends. But it does, so practicing compassion for ourselves releases us from the self-hatred that prevents us from responding to our life with clarity and balance. And so... Um, we're going to kind of get into 
practicing a little self-compassion here too. And this is gonna be our mindfulness exercise at the end. But the idea is what's inside is what comes out. So like you think of an orange, you're squeezing an orange or orange juice, orange juice is gonna come out. So when you're squeezed, what comes out? And if you're practicing shame and negative self-talk, you're telling yourself, I'm a screw up, I'm a failure, all of that stuff, like that's what's gonna come out. And when you're pressed and you're having those moments of that stress reaction, that's what's gonna come out. So with mindfulness and our mindfulness practice, if we practice being kind, generous, and considerate with ourselves, then we can be kind, generous, and considerate with our children or with others, whoever we're with, and then they, in turn, ideally, learn to be kind, generous, and considerate with others. And so this is a beautiful cycle, right? So we want to break these destructive cycles into these beautiful cycles. So now we have another question, another topic for discussion. Um, so what are some ways that you nurture yourself? Like, do you practice positive self-talk? Maybe you go to therapy. Maybe you do yoga. What are some ways that you nurture yourself? Maybe you already do mindfulness practice, and that is like, you're like, yay, gold star, I got this. If you would turn and uh, pair share again. So we're going to... Uh, I'm going to close out my portion with a little mindfulness exercise. Um, and this is a loving kindness, compassion meditation uh, that you might be familiar with. But it goes like this. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you feel safe. May you live your life with ease. And so to start, you're going to say that to yourself. And I'll repeat it. You're going to say that to yourself, just in your head, maybe close your eyes, but say it to yourself. May you be happy, may you be healthy, may you feel safe, may you live your life with ease. And then you're going to think of someone that you love. Maybe it's your child or your spouse or family member. And you're going to say the same loving kindness, compassion meditation to them. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you feel safe. May you live your life with ease. And if you do this practice at home, you can continue on as many people as you love and you like. But eventually, the idea is that you get to the people that you don't really like so much. Maybe even people that you uh, consider an enemy. So maybe put, put, try to put someone like that in there now. We're going to say that to them, too. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you feel safe. May you live your life with ease.
And then just for good measure, let's do it one more time for ourselves. And I'll change it to I. So may I be happy. May I be healthy. May I feel safe. May I live my life with ease. I hope you all don't mind. I'm going to sit down because it's Mother's Day and I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired and it's Mother's Day. Um, okay, so while I'm getting this all settled, um, I'm going to be really honest with all of you. I, had, I spent a lot of time thinking about this and I was invited to come and join in with all of you tonight. And we met with Latia and we said, okay, like what are we wanting to achieve and do and accomplish this evening? So I was like, oh yeah. Oh yes, I need to put this on. Thank you. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna come. I'm gonna be prepared. I think about this. I thought a lot about like, what is, what it does it mean to be maternal? What does it mean to mother? Because I think those are two different things. Um, where's their wisdom? And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna come, and it's gonna be so good. I'm gonna make a TikTok that's like, I understood the assignment. I'm gonna just gonna be so good uh, for anybody who lives on TikTok like I do. I spend a lot of time on TikTok for my work, um, and. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be really prepared. And then a bunch of stuff happened this week, partly around what came out of the leaked papers from the Supreme Court and my job. So Nick read a really long bio. It was very nice of you to read that whole bio. It was a little, I realized a little too long. But, um, but my day job um, is as the director of influencer engagement. And I do a lot of high-level strategy work on public policy impacting families and kids and parents together. Um, and this week... We said we have to be talking about abortion and access to safe and legal abortion as a family issue. This is a family issue. So it's been my job and it has been exhausting all week and actually has helped me um, be clearer about what I think is important to share tonight about um, maternal wisdom and what it means to mother um, as an act of resistance, as an act of um, of justice in the face of injustice? What does it mean to behave in such a way that what we do that is inspired by um, matriarchs and the cultures of matriarchy in the face of patriarchy is actually, for me, what feels very powerful. Um, so knit into that is part of my own story as a mother, but also it's not about me at all. <laughs> it's, it's really not about me. It's not about individuals either. Um, so I, I wanted to share a poem with all of you first and then do a little bit of storytelling and have you think um, a bit about what this might mean for you. I'm kind of obsessed with this poem. I have been for a while. One of my coworkers, um, Eileen Ariaza, shared this with us at Parents Together at the very beginning of the pandemic when not all of us on staff are parents. Um, not all of us on staff will in, intend to be parent, become parents or have children. Um, but she shared this because those of us who... <laughs> who are parents were really suffering during the pandemic of like, oh, am I doing school and I don't know what to do and my kids are overwhelmed and I'm overwhelmed. And she shared this poem that um, I read a lot. I think it turned off. That I read a lot. Um, should I wait for the mic or should I just keep talking loudly? Um, so this poem is called Good Bones by Maggie Smith. It makes me want to cry. I might cry when I read it, cause, and I might just cry today because I'm tired, and that's just real and human, and people cry for all kinds of reasons. But I just want to share this with you as the container for what it means to understand um, B 
being maternal as an act of revolution. So this poem is by Maggie Smith. Life is short, though I keep this from my children. Life is short, and I've shortened mine in a thousand delicious, ill-advised ways. A thousand deliciously ill-advised ways I'll keep from my children. <laughs> the world is at least 50% terrible, and that's a conservative estimate, though I keep that from my children. For every bird, there is a stone thrown at a bird. For every loved child, a child broken, bagged, sunk in a lake. Life is short, and the world is at least half terrible. And for every kind stranger, there is one who would break you, though I keep this from my children. I'm trying to sell them the world. Any decent realtor walking you through a real shithole chirps on about good bones. This place could be beautiful, right? You could make this place beautiful. Oh, this poem, I love this poem. So I've been thinking about my children all week. And not just this week, because as somebody who is an organizer, who works on systems change, um, when I wanted to have children, it took me a long time. It took six years of fertility treatments um, to have my first child, who's now 13. My second child, my midwife tells me this. She's like, sometimes they just look at you and suddenly you're pregnant. And that's kind of what happened. So I was like, oh, apparently this is how it works. Second time, I didn't need to do any fertility treatments, and surprise. Um, but it was a long journey. But I also knew on that journey that what it meant to be a mother, what it meant to think about mothering, what it meant to imagine a life um, as a maternal person was very much linked to my own life. Um, I'm an orphan. I'm the daughter of refugees. My dad died when I was three. My mom died when I was eight. My brothers and I were removed from our community um, and sent to live with a white family that ended up being very abusive. All of that is my mothering story. All of that is what shaped how I understood what it means to be maternal or not be maternal. And so I knew that when I became pregnant um, that I wanted to experience that in a radical way that like, it was revolutionary to be a woman of color who is pregnant in the United States where everything about pregnancy is pathologized, like you're, you have a disease. I knew that I wanted to the best of my ability while birth is uncontrollable to have an unmedicated birth because I kept thinking my ancestors did it, people have done it for millions of years and I will set up all the safeguards for risks because again, I have no idea exactly how birth will go, but no one, has to tell me that I'm ill. No one has to tell me that I'm incapable because I have generations of people telling me I'm fully capable. I knew that I wanted to find um, a doula of color. I knew that I wanted to find a midwife of color because that was important to me. 13, almost 14 years ago in Missouri, that was almost impossible. The only doula, some of you might know, was Hakima Payne. <laughs> Mama Hakima was the only doula of color in this area and midwifery at that time was um, not being practiced in the state of Missouri. There was one midwife who had crossed over from Kansas and was practicing here and then was about to go to be sent to jail. Because at that time, it was, not, it was not against the law to ask a midwife to provide midwifery services. It was actually against the law for a midwife to provide the service. Um, so there were midwives like not practicing in Missouri. And it was a really uh, it was really, really difficult. And also, Mama Hakima wasn't available because she was going to be at a conference. So that made me sad. But now, well, then we became friends. Um, 
But everything about that experience was really an experience of who I am and what birth means and what mothering means and embedded in all of that, what it means to be maternal in a world that exists to be the absolute opposite of that, where patriarchy makes that impossible, where white supremacy makes that impossible, where the medical industrial complex makes it impossible, where systemic injustice makes it impossible. It was all impossible. But it was the identity and the action that was life-giving. So when I sat in the last couple of weeks thinking about, you know, what does it mean to be maternal? And then I find myself this week trying to, <laughs> trying to run a giant campaign and be a strategist and help people understand that like mothering isn't about gender. Access to equitable health care for people who have uteruses and people who may find themselves pregnant is not about your sex. It's not, it's like that there's something else here. There's a bigger story to tell. In addition to the fact that many people also connect with that campaign and connect with this fight right now because we are mothers, because we identify as women, even, even though we know that cisgendered constructs can be oppressive. All of this is happening, and I'm so tired <laughs> trying to sort it all out. But my exhaustion is not a reason to stop engaging in what is maternal, and that anybody can find, understand and tap into and engage in the world in ways that bring maternal wisdom, because in the construct that we live in, maternal wisdom is the revolutionary thing. Not bound by gender, not bound by sex, not bound by age, not bound by geography. That is the way to be radical. And so I would offer that to all of you as the thing to think about. No matter whether or not you had a radical upbringing, no matter whether or not you had a maternal figure in your life who may have been a mom, but maybe not, for me, the most maternal person in my life was my high school theology teacher who uh, was a white man who was in the priesthood and left the priesthood and has now become my friend and like one of my core people. And he has been for me the most motherly person in my entire life because he brings maternal wisdom to my life. He brings maternal wisdom into the world because he understands that as revolutionary. And so if we could imagine not just a revolution of mothers on Mother's Day, but a revolution of people who imagine maternal wisdom as the way to restore what's broken, that's not just about moms. And that's not just about me. And that's not just about my search for a doula of color or a midwife of color because my own individual birth was a radical act. That that's actually a part of a giant web in which I'm asking all of us to say, what could we be doing that is radically maternal? What could we be saying to each other and acting on in our communities that is radically maternal? I don't know if any of you read Valerie Kaur or have seen Valerie Kaur's TED Talk, her most famous TED Talk. She's um, South Asian here in the United States, um, a researcher, storyteller, has done really incredible stuff. She did a TED Talk where she talked about the darkness of the time we're in right now. And that the darkness of the time right now that people feel so lost and alone in where we feel, where we are in fact, not just feeling, but experiencing deep depression collectively, deep trauma collectively, a loss of connection co collectively, that she said, what if we imagined that as a rebirth? Now, not everybody has a vaginal birth, but she was using that analogy to say, could this dark time be the darkness of a birth? Is it actually the darkness of a rebirth? that we are in fact, our job is to midwife into being 
a new world and a new way to be, new communities, new families, new ways in which we understand each other, and that that dark tunnel isn't one of sadness and sorrow, but it's the birth canal of what we might want to create. So tonight I just offer that to you, and I offer it to you in my own imperfection, in my own exhaustion, because I figure I'm not the only one who's maybe imperfect or exhausted right now in the world, um, but that this is the place to say maternal wisdom is action. It is radical, and the world might want to tell us it's not. The world might want to tell us we're sick and incapable. We are not, and that's far more than Mother's Day. So thank you. Thank you.